Local independent restaurants are a vital part of the Portland community and could really use a hand up. Tell your local representative to support the Restaurants Act. Learn more and get started at saverestaurants.com. This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets, where Chris, right now, it's apple season. It is. It is. Uh, you can yeah. go to your local Zupans, pick up Washington grown Envy apples, only two forty nine a pound. And because we love Zupan so much, and we point this out all the time, they've always got great recipes that goes along with a lot of their seasonal, uh, whether it's uh, meats or. I guess meats can be seasonal, but veggies and fruits. So right now you can go there and check out their uh, uh, roasted root veggie and apple recipe online at zoopans.com. I love that. You you can get all the stuff and then find out how to maybe up your dinner game. Well, yeah, but what's really cool is you can also generally buy some of that stuff in their prepared section. So you can either decide to buy it prepared or make it yourself. Sure. With the so yep. that's cool. Um, also, one of my favorite things about Zupans always has been how great their soups are. And they're back. They have, uh, they, I guess they ceased serving them for a little while um, in their hot bar. So they have uh, brand new flavors made exclusively uh, for Zupans by Three Little Figs. Um, they're fantastic and they always have a huge variety of soups. So whether you're a vegetarian or not, um, excellent soups there. And then of course, one of the great things about Zupans is they've always had in any of their three locations, fantastic floral arrangements Mm -hmm. available. And right now you can get a five stem bunch of some flowers for just 10 bucks. So that's a pretty way to celebrate fall as well. It's the perfect uh, way. With their flowers. And of course, coming up for the holidays, um, don't forget to look into some table arrangements that they'll have for you as well. Oh yeah, it's 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 hard to believe that Thanksgiving really isn't that far away. And we'll be talking about how Zupans can help you with that Thanksgiving meal in the uh, coming week. So don't forget three locations that uh, you can stop by. The one on McAdam, West Burnside, Lake Oswego, and always where, Chris? Zupans.com. All right, it's time once again, Portland's Food Scene Podcast. It's right at the fork with your host, Chris Angelus from Portland Food Adventures. And Court Johnson over there in the, the studio at home. Yeah, that's my uh, home studio. Yeah. Yeah, you're at the coast. I'm in a uh, guest bedroom, and uh, but we're actually staring at each other this time. We turned on our cameras. Yeah, we haven't been doing that, and I'm finding that helps because... I really miss the studio because I think interviewing someone when you're actually in their presence is, it's easier for me. I don't know about easier, but I just kind of like it. So uh, yesterday when we did our, my Zoom interview with um, Ethan Stoll uh, of Ethan Stoll Restaurants, quite a few of them, anybody's welcome to jump online and uh, Google Ethan Stoll Restaurants in Seattle uh, to see, well, he's got 20. Uh, but right now about a dozen are open, as he tells us in the interview. But he and I turned on the video, which I had done with Anna um, last week or the week before. So um, we've been doing them kind of blind, and um, 
Yeah, I guess we're getting used to doing this now. I was hoping we'd be back in the studio by now. So you and I, so you could also participate in these interviews. I guess you still could, but yeah, you sent me the uh, invite. I mean, obviously, I was always there in studio for a technical aspect. I had to be there to make sure buttons were pushed. Um, and you invited me to uh, to yesterday's interview with. Ethan, but I was unable to attend because I was in, I think, about a dozen other meetings. For some reason, yesterday right. was meeting day. But I think we should both go on record here, Chris, as, as stating fully, uh, when push comes to shove, we're not opposed to doing things virtually. We'll do it. Right. Yeah. Pardon me? You know what I'm, I'm getting at here? Just the, the, the news of the virtual debate. We're not opposed. We're not opposed oh, to, oh, to doing things virtually. You want to foray into this morning's news yeah. and politics? Yeah, no. we don't need. We don't need to. It's just a little subtle jab. That uh, again, when push comes to shove, we'll, we'll do things virtually. Sure, that's no problem. Yeah, no, we can do it. We're we're getting it done. Yeah, and honestly, and I was going to say also, the podcast has been a little bit challenging to do because if anybody who listens. In March, when things started getting funky in the restaurant world, um, we started doing a little series called Right at the Moment, so we could talk to uh, folks about how they were handling the pandemic in the restaurant world. And um, after a couple of months of those, we kind of said, this is getting depressing. It doesn't fit with our... Um, our mantra, or basically what we want the podcast to be able to do is be all the interviews we'd like to be evergreen so people could listen to them two years from now and right. it'd be relevant. No one's going to want to listen to those. Well, someone may, I guess, for reference. But um, They're a masochist but, and they like to feel bad about themselves and, and life in right. general. There was nothing positive for a few months. So we're trying to now, we're coming a little bit out of the woods. People are getting to restaurants. And um, so I'm, we're looking for more positive stories um, of how we don't really even want to address the pandemic anymore if we don't have to. But it's really hard to not address the elephant in the room with everyone. And here in this interview with Ethan, he's handled, you know, this guy's a, he's, oh, Handles a lot of restaurants, has a lot of employees, has had them for years, and I think has, it's not a downbeat interview, so on how they're handling it in Seattle, and I thought people would be interested in, like, focusing on Seattle for at least a week. We'll talk about that instead of Portland. We know what's going on here, Yeah. Um, and, uh, I, you know, Ethan, this would be, I think, the second or third time he's appeared on the podcast. He's a... He's become a friend, which is actually, I, I think I might have explained it before, the friend through my friend Billy at Modern Pizza in New Haven when, when Ethan had contracted with him to serve Billy's pizzas in, at, the, at the then Safeco Field. That's right. So Ethan also handles not only his restaurants, but consults with all the sports um, with the outlets in uh, Seattle to help them with their food. So that's also been a place where he's been affected, right? Because uh, the Mariners didn't play uh, in front of a live audience and, uh, right. and, you know, um, and now the Seahawks. So he's been part of that. So at any rate, we're starting, I've got quite a few, interviews lined up that aren't necessarily pandemic related but in this interview we that's what we talked about and um but he's 
positive about it. And I found it to be a really, really interesting interview. Um, he is a, he's a bright man, obviously. You have to be to run that many restaurants and talented, and he knows the business. So, sure. um, And the Seattle market is a little different than Portland insofar as they rely more on the corporate dollar than we right. do here in Portland at restaurants. So he goes into that a little bit. Um, so we'll get to that. Uh, it's a nice morning to chat. Um, I think you and I were going to talk about something else that – yeah, I was just going to say, you know, uh, 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 as you talk about just the different connections that you have, obviously, to Ethan up in Seattle, but coming through Connecticut, uh, one of the things that's uh, often fascinated uh, me about you, Chris, was actually, I think, one of the first times I met you, which is when we were doing Jamie's radio show, Jamie Mustard, our friend Jamie. Uh, yeah. You came in, we're talking about the food world, but we spent almost half the time talking about your your, um, I don't want to call it strange connection, but your connection with Van Halen. So earlier this week, when we heard of the untimely passing of Eddie Van Halen, you were the first person I thought of um, because of some connections that you had uh, with the band during your, I guess it was the year, your college, your early 20, 20s. Uh, it was uh, your brother. It was in the 20s. Actually, when I was talking with Jamie, we started talking about the Black Crows. That's right. So, see, and and so another, that- another connection. Right. So that, that connection was um, through my brother, who has a really interesting story on how he got involved with the music business. It's awesome. And, uh, you know, it was so long ago for me that it feels like another thinking about Eddie Van Halen and the time that I spent with the band. Um, it was so long ago, it feels like another lifetime. Uh-huh. So, I mean, we're talking pre-Valerie. Right. So, that's a long time ago. So, and you know, this connection is, as I said, I, I owe a lot to my brother for some incredible opportunities and times that I had. They certainly wouldn't have happened had he not been involved with the band, um, with both bands, Van Halen, actually three bands, Van Halen, then David Lee Roth. He managed him and he did his videos, which are some of the best videos ever. Oh, sure. Uh, anybody who recalls, just a gigolo and California girls. Um, so, uh, and then the black crows. So, um, yeah, I, I, you know, I hadn't really thought about Eddie Van Halen much over the past few years. Cause I have other things going on in my life. Uh, sadly, I don't talk to my brother any right now or any longer. I don't know how to put that. It's been a while. Sure. Um, things happen in life and, um, and uh, that's the situation there. However, that does not discount how much I appreciate um, the really fun times, the cool times I had because of his connection to the music world. And he was, he was pretty, you know, when I um, got to uh, hang out with Van Halen when they just left on tour opening for Black Sabbath in 1978, when I showed up to uh, hang out with the band, they would refer to him, my brother Pete is his name, Pete Angelus, as the um, fifth member of the band. He was their creative director. Um, he was responsible for their pretty incredible light show. Anybody who went to a Van Halen show back then, uh, if we have any listeners that old, um, uh, would know it was a pretty insane thing. Um, you would leave that show with uh, the VH logo emblazoned in your retinas. Um, and that was due to your brother Pete. 
That was my brother. And, but, on, but as he uh, became, you know, as he worked with them in lighting and a lot of their attitudes and some uh, 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 other issues that had to do with creativity with the band, that's when MTV started happening back mm-hmm. in the early 80s. And so he naturally, it's what, something he always wanted to do, he naturally got involved with them and started writing and directing their videos. Dave, David Lee Roth took full credit for that later on. Sure. Um, but those videos, you can see my brother is in them. Um, you know, he was responsible for Jump, Panama. Um, hot for Teacher. Hot for Teacher. That was the one. And so he kept getting, a, he actually kept getting uh, nominated for MTV uh, Best Video Awards. And uh, I think after about three or four nominations or more than that and not winning, he, he thought he might change his name to something German like Klaus Messerschmitt or something that might help them to the, the committee to vote for him because ah. his name wasn't wasn't exotic enough um but you know let's let's talk, i if we have time if people will and people can fast forward if they want sure it's a luxury podcast yeah so but let me tell talk a little it's a pretty interesting story so we grew up in uh, darien connecticut a suburb of new york city kind of a well-to-do place and uh, there are those people who got tired of it, or some people really liked it and are still there. But, um, but my brother was fed up with it, and uh, he and a few of his friends decided to move to Los Angeles, or Hollywood more specifically, to make it. I think when they were, um, I think when they were 18 or so, 19, I think my brother had done a year in college and then just said, let's go. And they had a friend whose name was Rusty, who was an extremely funny guy all through. Anybody who knew Rusty in our town knew that he was kind of like in the Steve Martin category, could make anybody laugh. He could make milk come out of my nose when I was drinking at any point in time. He'd just make you laugh. He, he had my mother on the floor cracking up for years. So I think they all kind of went out to support Rusty. And in doing so, he, I don't know what happened there, but my brother ended up, and there were four people, four kids from Darien who went out in an old Ford T-Bird, the one with the suicide doors in the back. Right, yeah. Mm -hmm. So they drove across the country, and my brother begged for a job at the, Roxy Theater as a doorman for two fifty an hour. Well, as the story goes, it took him about I think seven eight years to own the house above Elmer Valentine's in the Hollywood Hills, looking down on the guy who owned the Roxy and the whiskey. Oh wow! Um, so he got a job there as a doorman, which I later did. He invited me out to. Uh, to take the same job over summers at the Roxy. It was pretty cool. I got to um, seat Elton John and Stevie Wonder for shows when when Elton John was there for Kiki D. I mean, come on. This brings back some pretty crazy times. Um, And uh, so I got to work there not over one summer, and then I went back out um, in 1978 to take my job, my brother's job, at the uh, whiskey when he was asked to go on the road with Van Halen. Well, that path to get asked to go on the road with Van Halen went through. um, He befriended, do you remember the early days of Saturday Night Live with Lorraine Newman? Yeah. 
Okay, so he befriended her brother, Steve, who was doing the lights at the Roxy Theater. And they became friendly. He, Steve showed him how to do the, the light board, which if mm -hmm. you look at the old light board that they had at the Roxy and the Whiskey was like 36 or 24 bus light board. He ended up doing, you know, 180,000 buses with seven follow spot operators. Right. But, um, but they had a job opening at the Whiskey uh, for the light guy. And he ended up going down there and being the lighting director and stage manager and at the end of a show when van halen was playing at the whiskey a go-go which i think seats like two or three hundred people max um uh, and van halen had been there for a, a gig they had they had not they did not have the record company contract yet with the warner brothers um david lee roth finishes out the show by going yo come back tomorrow night we'll be here tomorrow night and my brother picked up the um the pa microphone at the whiskey and says uh dave <clears throat> everybody who's here tonight has to be here tomorrow night they all work here so that's all that was <laughs> left in them that's all that the people that were left well anyway they became friendly based on that exchange and uh so Van Halen gets a record company deal with Warner Brothers and they were going on the road and they didn't have a lighting guy and they asked my brother to do it. It went from there. And so he developed quite a career, became sort of partners with David Lee Roth and um, he was, uh, it's arguable on how this happened. <laughs> There's lots of different stories, but you know, Dave took some time to do his own thing when Van Halen didn't want to tour one year and right. uh, Pete and Dave became business partners and creative partners. They did all, he did all Dave's videos. You can see them in them. Yankee Rose, uh, as I said, Just a Gigolo, California Girls. You can see my brother in those. He's the guy screaming, forget about it, Dave. And, um, and um, you know, you can, you, you can, he looks like me. Anybody who knows that. Sure. Sort of. Right. Less weight, more hair. And, and, <laughs> and a little taller. Um, and so he went from there, and uh, then his relationship with Dave ended right about the time he was introduced to the Black Crows and managed their careers, business managed their careers for, oh my God, 20 years. So my brother has had the, um, I don't know if you call it a privilege or the tolerance to deal with some of the most uh, legendary, difficult people in the music world, David Lee Roth, Eddie, and um, and also um, the, the Robinson the brothers. Robinson brothers, yep. So yeah, Van Halen wasn't enough. Let's go to the Robinson brothers right. after that. So, so that's that. So I had the opportunity. I'll give you a couple of little anecdotes because they go. I don't even remember all of them, but I had some pretty cool things happen. One that I posted on Facebook the other day was um, well, I did arm wrestle Eddie Van Halen. I got to arm wrestle that right arm of his. With it, I was going to say with his with the strumming arm. Or with the his strumming finger, finger yes. picking. Okay. All right. And I was a little nervous. Like everybody in the band, every was when that was in the hotel room when we did it. And I was a little nervous, but I took him down. No. Oh. So, um, I have that, that one, so, you know, there are things. So on your tombstone, we could put Chris Angeles arm wrestled Eddie Van Halen and won. Right. That, uh, stronger, right, stronger, right arm. Than Eddie Van Halen. <laughs> so there was that a uh, couple of other little stories. I had a little rental in um, Tucson at the university of Arizona. And when the rental ended, my girlfriend and I scrubbed the hell out of that apartment so we could get our $200 deposit, deposit. back 
before we went to work at the Grand Canyon. And uh, so we scrubbed that, and I called the landlord. The landlord called me and said, uh, well, I'm, you're not getting your deposit back. I was, I, to this day, I'm still fucking pissed about that. I really Obviously. Am. Yeah. So his reason was you didn't clean that, that writing on the living room wall. And I said, well, I don't know if you read that, Mr. Lutz, but those what's on the living room wall that I left you was signatures from um, Eddie and Alex Van Halen and Michael Anthony on the wall. You could rent that. That would, that would double. It's the Van the Halen suite. That. Yeah, so he still didn't give me my money back. But so... <laughs> You know, I rem- I had a little Mazda RX-3. Mm-hmm. And so the band in- would have an extra day or two in Tucson. I'm, I'm thinking today uh, that reason was because at least they knew somebody in Tucson back then and, then, and I could show them a few good times. And um, so the band would get in my little RX-3 and drive around Tucson and go to Sabino Canyon or we'd go eat somewhere. And we also went to Malibu Grand Prix and I was able to, I walked up to the guy at the window and said, can we rent this track for an hour? And he said, no. And I said, hey, come over here. And I showed him in the car sitting in this tiny little Toyota Corolla sized car where my brother Eddie Van Halen, Alex Van Halen, and Michael. David was never around. David Lee Roth was always doing his own thing. Yeah. But they're all squeezed in my little car, ready for some action. So we rented the car for that day, and those guys were flipped out. You know, this was 1980. Mm-hmm. Uh, that the Van Halen was there to ride at the track, so they closed down the track and let us ride around. Those are those little mini F1 cars. Um, there's that. There are a lot of, you know, I got to ride on the bus a little bit and hang out. I did trash a hotel room with the band once because that's what you do when you're with them. Yeah. Um, I, I met a lot of, a lot of 1980s celebrities. I had, um, I got a little, you know, I got to at least meet, um, Sam Kinison, Brooke Shields a few times. Wow. Um, you know, those 80 celebrities. And then later with the, you know, with the Black Crows, I got to spend a night hanging out with Jimmy Page and actually be the guy who was between everybody who wanted to see him and Jimmy. So my brother set it up. I was newly single, just got divorced. So all the girls who wanted to get to Jimmy Page had to go through me. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was kind of fun. So I had all these pretty cool opportunities. So anyway, to go to Eddie Van Halen, um, what I remember most about Eddie, first of all, was, you know, this, his talent was unlike any others when he took the stage. And the, the shows were incredible, the Van Halen shows from the late 70s and early 80s. Um, but you see it now and you hear it talked about a little bit now. Um, I don't need to tell anybody how great his guitar playing was and how cool the music is. I've been spending the last two days listening to it with mm-hmm. an ear really towards the guitar. And I, you know, tears, I shed a few tears doing that, but it was Eddie's smile, man. Eddie had this infectious, like awesome smile. Most rock stars then wanted to look mean and fucking cool. Right. Eddie looked cool, was cool, but he, he had this, he had this different personality. He was just, smiles all the time yeah one of, one of the things i read most is not only did he change the game guitar wise just because of how great he was and again you said mm-hmm. you know th- there's no arguing about that but what he eliminated was that 
ugly face that guitar players were making as they were playing the guitar so extremely mm-hmm. like he, he added in that smile and it just changed it because he actually actually looked like he was enjoying what he was doing. Oh, he absolutely did. And if you read any interviews with him, he was really humble. So he never wanted anybody to tell him he was a rock God. Um, he just was doing what he was doing. And you know, he never read, learned to read music ever right, right up until his death. So, but the other thing that now that we're talking about, I realized one of the things that made Van Halen great other than their music was it wasn't just Eddie who was happy and smiling. That band looked, was and looked like they were having a great time all the time. They didn't have the look of we're, you know, dark and, you know, death metal. They had the look of this is a party. And it was a party. Oh, my God. I mean, I can't even. There are things now, especially after the Me Too. I can't even talk about. But um, they had, I mean, they defined what a good time was. And there were no limits. I mean, you know, they did what they wanted. (laughs) They did what they wanted to do. And everybody, everybody around them were willing participants. I can't see anybody coming back now 40 years later and saying, you know, this happened, this happened. I guess I can. Anybody's looking for a buck. But, um, but it was, it was pretty crazy. And I, you know, I hadn't really thought about all of this until Eddie's death a few days ago. I mean, I thought about it, but it hadn't come to mind in a while. So sure. it was kind of an interesting exercise to take myself back to 1978 and 80. So I worked at the Whiskey, too. I took my brother's job when he went on the road with Van Halen. Actually, there was somebody else, and then that guy went on the road with them. So I was the next in line. So in 1978, for about nine months, I was the lighting director and stage manager at the Whiskey when, like, the Runaways were there mm-hmm. and the the Dickies, and I believe Tom Petty came through there at the time. Nice. Um, it was a pretty interesting time. I'll also say this, this little anecdote. My job also at the Whiskey for an extra 5 or $10, depending on the complexity of the mission, was to change the uh, marquee at the Whiskey every night at 2 in the morning to the next band. Oh, right, yeah. And that was, that was a crazy thing to do on Sunset Boulevard on that gigantic ladder to get up there. And there was, you know, I could tip over at any time. If any punk rocker wanted, they did. Right. They'd come and start baking it while I was up there. Of course. Um, so my last um, day there, uh, I put myself on the marquee, took a picture of it. Chris Angeles, Whiskey A Go-Go. And then I went to college at the University of Arizona. And two days later, met the woman I would marry eventually. Wow. And then divorce. Right. So, but she's the mother of my kids. And, uh, and we had um, a year later after I met her, I invited her to um, the Van Halen show. Um, and I'd forgotten I invited her and I was walking up with another girl, um, a beautiful blonde named Cindy and I had my arm around her and I'd forgotten I invited Barb and this other beautiful blonde was standing there looking at me like, oh, I thought you invited me. You invited me. What are you doing with her? And so I looked at Barb and then I looked at Cindy, whom I just sort of met. And uh, I, Cindy, we were there with some other friends, and I said, I'm sorry, Cindy, I have to uh, beg oh, out of this. Oh, wow. And, and went, and I spent the night with Barb backstage, and um, that was the end of that. We ended up um, forming a pretty solid relationship for a long time. 
Did Cindy, and, did you, did you at least get Cindy into the show? Oh, they were all in. We oh, all okay, had all passes. Right. I, used to right, get, okay. I used to have guest lists that were like 20, 25 long. Sure. So that, no, Cindy went to the show with her, with our friends. Okay. But I went by myself with Barb. Barb got to go and backstage what, with Chris. Yeah, Barb got to go backstage with Chris. And so, um, I was imagining yeah, Cindy that, walking home from the venue, not, having not, you know, been, not having been let in. Cause you know, right. Well, she was with her. She was with people. I didn't, I wouldn't have left her had we been alone. I just, but that's, um, you know, (laughs) but uh, I made that life decision. I later did find Cindy Mm -hmm. who was just still absolutely beautiful. My age, we were born on the same day. Actually, that was one of the interesting dating attractions. We were born on the same day and I found her on Facebook probably 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, She was, she talked to me. And but later, after a few months of being on each other's friends list, she defriended me. Ah. So, um, so that was the end of Cindy. She looks like she had a happy life in Chicago, Illinois. That's good. So, um, but anyway, I have no regrets on anything. Um, my, you know, my relationship uh, with Barb led to my children, and um, I had a lot of fun, and I'm having a really good life right now. So, no regrets on that. But. Um, there are some awesome memories, and little by little over these few days, a few more have come to mind. Has this been too long, Court? Has this been, are, are listeners tuning out? Well, no, I, th- I think this, is, this has been the perfect amount because it's a little added bonus to your weekly uh, Right at the Fork podcast. You get some insight into uh, the younger Chris Angelus, um, but uh, I, I, I think we gave them just enough. One more little thing I'll say about the rock and roll world, which has changed drastically. Sure. But I will say, I remember hanging out with Michael Anthony talking about the lawnmower he just bought that he loved. Like Michael Anthony was the bass player for me. Right. And talking about his young family that he was just starting and just the domestic stuff that anybody would talk about with Michael Anthony. Right. And then 20 minutes later, he would be on stage with his bass looking, you know, having that fun, but sort of, he was the bass player. He had to look a little mean. Sure. So I just watching that on stage with 20,000 people screaming at him after we'd just been talking about his lawnmower. Uh, <laughs> that's one of my favorite memories of my life. That's uh, the side maybe. of rock and roll most people don't see is the domestic yeah. side. But they're, exactly. They're, they're there is that. People. And by the way, one other, speaking of domestic side, that band was nuts, right? When they first went out on the road and I definitely have the stories of how those things went with some of the groupies and all that. But things changed drastically when this woman who was the star of one day at a time, Valerie Bertinelli, all of a sudden was hanging around backstage and was Eddie's girlfriend. Right. Uh, a lot changed uh, when she was there. And uh, yeah, there were, then there would be, it started being two separate contingents, Eddie and Valerie and everybody else. So um, that was fun to watch. And of course, she was, she was huge at the time, right. right? One day at a time, there was nobody that was bigger. And she was around my age. She was beautiful. It was kind of cool to, to get to know her. Okay. And then now I went beyond. Sorry. <laughs> no, we got, it was, I, I, I think I enjoyed this. So I'm just going to assume the, uh, the average right at the fork listener enjoyed it as well. So. Okay, so let's get to this interview with yep. Ethan. Ethan, I know you may be listening. Who knows? You're a busy guy. You may not even listen to this interview thinking that you already heard it. You participated in it. So um, so, 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 I, so, that, I, so, so the Van Halen was a bonus for Ethan because he, he was part of the interview. So, 
It was all for Ethan. It was a there thank you for being on the uh, on the podcast. Here, well, uh, I don't know if it's a treat or not, but um, <laughs> but I'm sad. I I am. I'm sad. Eddie is gone, um, but um, he leaves. He he's always going to be a legend, and uh, certainly those in the music industry um, are honoring him because he was. Yep. So. I'm sorry, I didn't. I keep going back to that. Let's just get to the interview. Let's get to Ethan. Right at the Fork is supported by Zupan's Markets. Whether you're an expert chef or a connoisseur of great cuisine, Zupan's Markets has been the number one destination for the food and wine lovers of Portland and beyond for over 40 years. West Burnside, McAdam, and Lake Oswego, or Zupan's.com. Ringside Steakhouse. It's time again to slice into the best steaks and service available in Portland. Seating is now available by reservation only for indoor and outdoor dining at ringsidesteakhouse.com. And check out the newly opened New England-style fish and ship spot with a Northwest personality, Rock Paper Fish, a partnership between the Peterson family and Portland icon Micah Camden in the old Boxer Ramen space on East Burnside for takeout only. And by Portland Food Adventures, Cabin Fever, book a fantastic culinary vacation in 2021 with podcast host Chris Angeles. Experience the best of Basque Country with Javier Canteras of Urdaneta or Western Sicily with Taste of Italy's Austri Enzyme. Whet your appetite and get more information at portlandfoodadventures.com or contact Red at the Fork host Chris Angeles for more details. Thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Um, you uh so when i first learned about the pandemic back in march it was up in seattle like i i I, there was a point where i thought oh this is just going to be a seattle thing and it's not coming to portland that's it i mean that would be in early march i would think yep um but now i mean it's a big thing and uh oh my god i can't imagine how it's overtaken your life how many restaurants do you have or, or should I ask, did you have? How's yeah, that? did. Did is a better question. We had 20. Actually, we had, we had, actually, we had probably had more than that. Depends if you want to count the locations we have at, at stadiums. Uh, mm-hmm. If we count those, we had 24. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but, uh, yeah, now we're down to, down to a dozen currently, and that's what we see ourselves with for the next six months or so. Um, and then do you think you'll be back up to 20? Are you going to work towards that? Or is you don't know right now, it's really hard to project, I would imagine. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, we're, we actually, we actually were also planning on a fair amount of growth this year. You know, we have a, we have a restaurant, uh, in Spokane that's under construction right now, actually two, two locations in Spokane that are under construction right now. And, um, um, we have one in Seattle that's, that's under construction and we had two that were under construction that are now open. So we're still growing. I mean, I mean, and we, we expect to bring all the locations back. Actually, you know, one of the locations was, was kind of running towards the end of its lease that we didn't want to keep back, you know, that we, we, we didn't want to keep anyways. So we kind of just negotiated our way out of that lease. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but all the other locations will come back at some point. And do you have do you have a timeline now that you're thinking about, or can you I not? Mean, can't do that now. Well, yet. no. I mean, you know, I mean, I think our, our, everybody's predictions are the same as you know the same. You know, I think next spring summer is when we feel like things might you know you know might start heading back to you know back to whatever the new normal is going to be. So you know you know restaurants that are that are restaurants that are that are 
that were under construction or are under construction, even once they're done, we're not planning on opening them right away. Um, we'll have um, we'll have two done in November, one done in December. Uh, we had one done that was done in, in March. Um, and then all we don't like even those ones that are under construction, if they're if they're not in, in a neighborhood, we're not going to open them up until next spring or summer. You know, and that's and that's and that's best guess at this point. Right. So obviously you have the resources to keep that going. There are a lot of I just read today in Port just an hour ago in Portland we heard one of our favorite spots, Hold Fast Dining, is closing. Mm -hmm. That's um, too bad. Yeah. Um, it sucks. We hear it we hear it every you know, almost weekly we're hearing a few. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, it, we're we're hearing the same thing up here in Seattle for sure. Um um, and, and, and is it, is it about us having the resources? Um, I, I guess in some regards, yes. In some regards being proactive when the thing happened, um, you know, we were, we were very open and very honest with our landlords at the beginning and, and our staff members and, and, you know, and we went through the recession, uh, in 2009. Um, so we, we kind of knew the playbook a little bit. Um, so, you know, we, we, we definitely moved and shifted very hard, very fast, um, but you know, I mean, I think it's mostly just trying to preserve as much, as much as of your, you know, or trying to limit as much of your losses as, as possible at this point, you know, and, and, and I'll admit, you know, we went into it, you know, we went into it with, you know, like all of our bills currently a total, you know, you know, you know, up to date on, on paying our, all of our vendors and rents and everything like that. So we, we didn't go into it behind or weakened at all. Mm -hmm. Um, which, you know, if this happened a couple of, you know, two, three years ago, it'd have been a different story probably, you know, um, um, but uh, we've been we've been working hard for the last several years to like just manage our stuff really well and 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 manage the finances. Uh, um, um, you know, I wouldn't say we're you know we're not like a corporate company that watches every single penny, but it, we just try to make sure that we put ourselves in a strong position um, uh, and 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 try to make sure that we're you know operating well. And 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 in times like this, it serves you really well, uh, just because you know I mean we expected a big year this year. And the big year didn't happen, um, but we started off the you know the year stronger that you know than we ever had. So that helped us out in you know you know in times like right now. Well, there was no planning for it, and the playbook that you no. <laughs> learned in two thousand nine may be applied in a few ways, but you know you had you had to throw that out uh, in many ways because in two thousand nine business was just down. You didn't have these challenges with masks and and yep. also the health regulations to deal with. That can't, you know, I just I just went to your website and read uh, your regulations, and you're doing much. You know, we were into uh, Masia recently, which is Jose Chessa's um, newer place that opened three weeks before March, and that's in a hotel too. So that can you know apply to some of your business up there and yeah it's pretty strict i mean when a server comes over to the table you put the mask on and uh when you go to the bathroom you put the mask on and that's not you know it's one thing to do that i mean you're asking customers to do that but now you're asking servers to police that and serve in a different way than they ever have before um how is that uh that's got to be really challenging uh, I mean, it's, it's challenging. Yes. And no, I mean, I, I mean, I'm glad we're in a, in a, you know, in, in the area of the country, you know, you know, that we are. Uh, so, so, you know, our guests are super, 
you know, they're, they're, they're very understanding. They're very knowledgeable. They get it. They know that, 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 that the rules of like, Hey, I'm the customer. The customer's always right. It's not applying right now. You know, we're all mm-hmm. kind of in this together, you know, which does make it a little bit in, in some regards, a little bit more of a, of a, of a clean message than, you know, than the recession, you know, you know, the recession, you were, you were struggling and fighting uh, the whole way through it this way, you know, it's very clear. There's rules laid out for you. They have to abide by uh, and, and if you can't comply with those or get, can't get, get people in the door, you don't have the restaurant open. You know, like all of our re- downtown restaurants are, are shut down. You know, they're all of them are closed because uh, there's nobody downtown. All the office yeah, towns are empty and, and everybody's working remotely. So in some regards that helps out because you just go to the landlord and say, Hey, what do you want me to do? And they, and they get it. They're like, yeah, shut it down and don't pay your rent. So where are they, but how are they sustaining then if, if they have to be, you know, covering their nut on their end? Are they going to whomever they have to to get a break as well? Yeah, I think everybody's doing it. You know, I think landlords that have, you know, buildings that are paid for, they're, you know, they're, it's fine. Um, I think landlords that have uh, uh, mortgages, on their buildings are going to their banks and saying, Hey, can I pay interest only right now? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, and we've used some of the PPP dollars to make sure landlords, you know, get paid. Uh, and we've negotiated like, Hey, we're all in a tough time and we want to get you something, you know, what does this look like now? You know? And um, you know, if you're, if you're closed, cause you don't feel like you, you can be open uh, it's a different conversation, but if you're open, it's, you know, about like, Hey, we're at 50% capacity. So why don't we pay 50% of the rent kind of thing? Mm-hmm. You know, so there's, you know, there's, there's been good conversations, uh, but I'll tell you the, the best part about it has been, you know, being very proactive with them instead of reactionary uh, and being very straightforward with them about what you can do. Don't go to people and, and you know, complain about what you can't do. Uh, tell them what right. you can do, you know, and, 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 and people, you know, right now, I mean, the one thing is it's hard for everybody, and every, but everybody also gets it, right? You know, it's not like they can go to you and say, hey, I was at Tabulata on Friday night, you guys look pretty busy. You must be making money. And you're like, no, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you can, it's very easy. You can say, you know, like, look at, look at top of a lot of them. And there's half as many seats as there were. Everybody's right. six feet apart and not every table's full. Whereas, you know, during normal times, if, if three quarters of the tables are full, it still looks full. You know, and you can't do it, and you're not going to them and saying we need to work something out here at that, at that point in time. So, right, yeah, I can see where this makes it. Uh, I wouldn't say easier, but at least it's there. However, you probably have a little bit of clout that some other smaller operators, you know, the the people who have uh, the the restaurateurs who have one owner operators, one restaurant, um, because I would imagine. Some of your landlord knows, well, if we don't agree with something, you know, with, with uh, Ethan Stoll restaurants, we're not going to get anybody better in here. I mean, you're, you're the best bet for the long term, I would imagine. Yeah, we're, we're, we're a stable pick, you know. I mean, I think the thing is, it's like, you know, I mean, I think, A, we've been around long enough so people know that, that we're going to operate honestly and truthfully. Um, uh, B... Uh, you know, consistent relationship is a big thing in times like this. Hey, they've always paid their rent on time. They've never been behind. They've never complained about, you know, triple net increases or saying they can't pay or they, or, you know, they you know th- those stories have never been from them. Or if they have been, it's back when we were in a much younger company, right? You know, where, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I, I mean, restaurant industry is hard. <laughs> and, 
um, you know, I, w- I don't want to say we've gotten over the hoop of, uh, you know, over the hump of it being hard. Uh, but, you know, you know, you know, those those consistent relationships of us being a good partner to landlords uh, in times like this is meaningful because you're like when you go to them and say, hey, I've never talked to you about anything like this, even in the recession. And they're like, yeah, I get it. You've never you've never, ever been a problem for us. And so now you're coming to us after being in our building for 12 years. I get it. You know, you've been well, a good tenant for 12 years. So we should, we, you know, we need to figure something out here. And, you know, as, as you pointed out before, it's not as though this is just unique to you. It's an industry thing mm-hmm. that's un- in the news they're hearing all about. So, uh, not even the yeah. industry thing. It's a global thing. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's no, a global it's- thing. And, um, yeah, I mean, for sure. Well, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, right. It's a, it's airline industry and you're, that must hit Seattle, especially hard, right? Right now, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, for sure. You know, airlines, hotels, anything hospitality or travel, you know, I mean, you know, this summer, you know, I mean, you know, the, the all the cruise ships got canceled. So that's a big chunk of, of, of tourism for Seattle. Uh, nobody's traveling, nobody's vacationing. Uh, yeah, it's a big, it's a big hit. So, yeah. So, um, and you have, you know, enough restaurants where you can, as, in terms of uh, employees, move them around as necessary. I would imagine you have that ability to do that. Yeah, it's been tough though because you try to keep the, you know, you try to keep the all the teams uh, stable in one location, so there's not a lot of moving around. Okay. Because you know it's part of the deal with this thing. It makes it a little bit more tricky. Like, hey, that's fine. We'll be open for takeout and delivery and now in-house dining, but we don't want to have a bunch of employees that work one day a week or two days a week. We want to keep the, the unit as whole as possible. So we're trying I mean, you're just, you're just trying to accommodate everything, everything, you know, that you can. And obviously there is no perfect solution and there's no, you know, like, Hey, oh yes, we can do that a hundred percent of the time. But you know, the effort is there and you know, the employees get that we're putting out, you know, you know, putting a solid effort into making uh, you know, you know, the best decisions we can for them and for the business and, you know, and for, you know, the, you know, the, the, the customers and everything, not only short-term, but long-term as well. Did the balance between um, unemployment compensation and PPP, all those issues that at least were issues back in March, April, May, June, did, has that kind of worked itself out? And, and in other words, what I'm saying is that you had some employees that were doing as well or better on unemployment insurance and then so offering them ppp uh compensation to come back was kind of a tough issue i don't know if that if that applied everywhere that's what i yeah i mean mean, you know certainly it was tough i mean you know yes um some of that yes some of that no i mean a lot of the employees uh you know when we we've been adding people in as we've been doing in as we're adding in indoor dining you know on a very limited and strict basis uh, and a lot of times it takes a lot of it, it takes a lot of phone calls to get somebody to, you know who wants to come back to work even mm-hmm. even now after the stimulus checks have have, have kind of ended a lot of them are just like now nah, wait this out i don't want to put myself at risk and i've got a young kid and i don't want to deal with it you know so there's a lot of people that are just saying no we don't you know you know we'll pass for now call call us the next time you need some people you know and and uh you know and the ppp money you know it's there's two things a it's if there's such limited business it's hard to be able to figure out how you know what to do with it with their employees uh and and b you don't want to take them off from unemployment if you might have to put them back on on unemployment in six weeks 
because there's a four week waiting period to get any money, you know? So there's a lot of things that are, it's just really tricky, right? And you're trying to make the, the best decisions you can for you, for your employees and the ones that are employed and on the ones that are on unemployment, you know? Mm-hmm. So you're trying to just weigh all the options you can and, and, uh, and, you know, try to, try to figure it out. It's been, it's, I mean, you know, the truth is it, it's just been a mess. And, you know, granted, I think we're a little bit better situated to handle it because, you know, we are lucky that we have several restaurants in neighborhoods that, that, that are doing okay. And that's helping carry a lot of the weight right now. Um, mm-hmm. Because customers still want to eat out. They still want to drink. They still want to have fun. Uh, oftentimes, it's just to go, you know, and that's just what it is. You know, so I don't know. It's been, it's been certainly, you know, it's been every week major changes for the last six months. Yeah, and I'm sure it's it, people are going to be dying. Just like I'm hoping that they can't wait to travel again and get on a mm-hmm. plane and go to Europe. I think that people, you know, are just going to be champing at the bit to – get back in and sit down at a restaurant. I know when, I, when I've been out a couple of times, it is so nice to look at a menu and order what you want in the moment instead of, oh, I'll look at a menu and order this to take out and eat it in an hour and a half. I have to decide what I'm going to eat at home. I don't know. I don't love that process. I mean, yeah, I get it. You know, I mean, I do think, I do think the takeout business is going to um, – I think that's going to be actually a, a good – a good uh, addition to the restaurant industry. You know, we all know that, you know, the restaurant industry margins have been shrinking for the last 20 years. You know, costs have been going up quite a bit. Customer expectation of cost has not matched that, you know, you know, has not matched those raised uh, costs, you know, you know, cost to the, you know, to the business. So I think uh, getting that extra revenue from to-go business and, you know, an extra 10, 15% revenue for, for a restaurant could be a real game changer for them. So right, when this starts to, to have yeah, that as gravy. Yeah, yeah and, and, and you add on 15% more revenue, that's pretty good, man. That's pretty good. So, um, you know, I mean, we're hopeful about how things are going to go. I mean, and I do think you're right. I think people want to go out to restaurants again. They just do. Uh, unfortunately and sadly, I think there's going to be a lot less, you know, you know, a lot fewer options, um, which means probably the ones that are around and make it through the whole thing will probably be, you know, will probably probably be be pretty busy. Yeah, I at least think at so. least that's the hope and the theory. Hey, Chris, let's pause a moment and talk about one of our favorite places to eat again: Ringside Steakhouse. That's right. Seventy-five years the Peterson family has owned it. I wonder if we're going on. No, it's seventy-five. Seventy-five plus plus one, I think maybe. Right, but the 75th year was a challenging one for Ringside as well as other restaurants. And, you know, they've been doing their kits, their steak sales uh, since uh, April or May. And now, in the middle of August, they're opening their doors and they're taking reservations for indoor and outdoor dining. They've got a tent set up outside. So I am really happy that uh, tomorrow night, Friday... We're going to celebrate the, op- the reopening of Ringside Steakhouse and the reopening of dining out. It's so nice to be able to do that again. Yeah, and, and you pointed out making those reservations at ringsidesteakhouse.com or using the uh, Open Table app, but that's the only way you can do it. You used to be able to maybe show up and be able to get into the bar or possibly get a, a table if you were lucky, like on a weeknight. 
but now you need to do a reservation. They have to be, they have to figure out their seating plan. So make a reservation. And then there's another thing that's exciting. We've been hearing a lot uh, about what's going on in Portland and some of it hasn't been that good, but this is great news and opening of a new place, which is a partnership between the Peterson family of Ringside and also our friend Micah Camden of Blue Star Donuts fame, fame and Little Big Burger fame, and of course, one of my favorites, uh, Super Deluxe. He's opening in the former Boxer Ramen space on East Burnside, I think it's 26th, um, is uh, Rock Paper Fish. This is this speaks to me, New England style fish and chips with a Northwest uh, personality too. So uh, Micah, when he does something, um, you know it's going to be good. And for the Peterson family to be involved, they're not putting their name on just anything. So this would be something really cool to check out. That, unlike ringside now, is takeout only for a while until things we get out of this COVID situation. That's right. So don't forget, make those reservations for both indoor and outdoor for Ringside Steakhouse at ringsidesteakhouse.com. And check out Rock Paper Fish as well. That should be fun for you. Do you think that's, uh, what do we call this? Not demographics, but psychographics. We have, as, as uh, a generation is growing up who hasn't been face-to-face with people as much. They've grown up looking at a phone. Um, Do you think that maybe they're going to be a little more prone to wanting to eat at home, eating a meal while they're doing their Instagram? Or, uh, you know, I'm a certain age, and I adopted that sort of stuff later in my life, but there are a lot of people right now who grew up with that. So do you think that's going to affect dining? I think, I think, I think, uh, probably a little bit, um, for sure. You know, people love instant gratification. They love buying stuff on their phone. They love getting things delivered to them in the moment. It just makes them feel good. You know, it's, I mean, you know, I mean, it's, it, it just does. I mean, and so a certain generation, you know, you know, that could be dinner, you know, and that makes them feel good. Right. You know, like, Hey, I'm going to order this thing real quick. It's been my phone. I'll be at my house in 45 minutes and be all set. You know, well, so that's it's the key. Just, how quickly yeah. it gets there. Yeah, it's it's the services a lot. I think people get get addicted to, right? Uh, but I th- I think I still think people are going to want to go to restaurants. You know, you got to go out and dates. You got to go out and interact. You 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 have to go out to you know you know for for business meetings. You got to go out for happy hour parties. All that stuff I think will come back. Um, um, I, you know, let's be honest. I mean, you know, we've been over the years we've been transitioning away from cooking at home and doing more you know, service-based, uh, service-based dining where people handle it for you. They clean up after you, they take your order, they do all this stuff. Right. Right. Uh, I think, I think in general restaurant dining is probably going to get a little bit more casual, uh, probably a little less, uh, uh, interactive with staff members. I think they'll end up, you'll, I think you'll end up seeing a lot more counter service models. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, well, for, that for, was for beginning before this, that was a trend that we were moving towards. Yep. And I think, and, and, you know, obviously I think a lot of things about that are financial, Mm-hmm. Uh, trim down some labor, call it a day, you know. Uh, but I think that will probably get accelerated, you know, you know, quite a bit. Um, but you know, I mean, I think I still think people want to go out for services. I think you know, I think I think people don't want to do pots and pans at the end of the day. Oh well, that's I'll raise my hand there, and I will also say that as we're talking about this, I'm realizing that um, you know, living in a Zoom world, 
working out of one's home, I think at some point that'll put, uh, that'll make dining out even that much more important because of the cabin fever issue. People are going sure. to want to get out. So, yeah. um, so, so, you know, we've had an incredibly difficult time down in Portland. Has, has a lot of the politics and things that are going on down here, I know you've seen some of that in Seattle, but I have to cop to not following it that much because there's only so much of this shit we can take in. Yeah, so, no, I, yeah, I mean, it's definitely, it's definitely been up here. Uh, I don't think nearly to the, you know, to the level of, you know, as Portland. Um, but, you know, I mean, I think, you know, um, you know, for the most part, I agree with, you know, a little bit of the, of the disruption that's going on. Uh, I think it's probably good and healthy and uh, hopefully it'll lead to, it will lead to change. Uh, it's not great for business in any fashion. That's uh, why I was that, asking, by the yeah, way. But, but you know what? I mean, it, that's the kind of disruption of business I don't mind. You know, if it's going to lead to a better world, I mean, Trump screwing up with coronavirus is not helping anybody out. You know, yeah. I mean, and um, that's a different thing, right? You know, I mean, you know, having 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 progressive policies move forward. Uh, if it disrupts my business a little bit, I'm not going to worry too much about that. Uh, coronavirus being massively mishandled is, is tough for me to swallow because, you know, you know, myself or any of my colleagues in the restaurant industry didn't do anything to for this, right? We didn't we didn't cause this. You know, it's not even, you know, I mean, it's, it wasn't like even, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't anything we, we, we caused or deserved. Uh, we're just taking it on the chin right now, which is hard, man. It's really hard. It feels, it feels not good. But um, I think that's just the thing, you know, I mean, it didn't feel good in 2009. It didn't feel good in 2001 with 9-11. It didn't feel good in 1998 with dot-com bust. Um, you know, but I think it's just one of those things, you know, I mean, I, I think we took the, the opportunity with this one, with, the, with, with all of our team members to say, hey, learn, learn how this is getting handled. Because if you're gonna be in this industry uh, for another 20, 30 years, like I'm gonna be, uh, it's gonna happen two or three more times. It feels like it happens once every 10 years. Something major mm -hmm. is, uh, is, is very disruptive. So learn how to handle it. For, on our nickel, if you own, own your own restaurant, pay attention to what we're doing and, 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 and go along with it and why we're doing it. Um, so, I mean, I think it's, you know, I, I'm not expecting this to be the last kind of, you know, you know, major problem I face in this industry. I mean, I would love it if it was, but, um, but it is what it is, right? Well, it's an industry also where you, where you face issues almost every day. It's not an easy, it's not an easy business. There are challenges every single day and different things that For come sure. up. This happens to be, uh, a really, a really big one. Um, sure. do you, uh, think do you are you optimistic i don't want to we don't you've already kind of revealed your politics and i just assumed that anyway but are you optimistic for the next you know into january man i don't know man it's like the whole world seems like it's gone crazy particularly in politics um and i'm i'm super hopeful that next month works out the way you know you know the way i want it to um uh but you know i mean i i don't i don't know i think i think we're gonna know a lot more in a month um, um, you know, yeah, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm afraid I'm, we're not going to know in a month. That's the problem. Yeah, I, I get you. Um, yeah, <laughs> no, I mean, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit terrified right now. You know, I mean, it's, you know, I mean, I've got two young kids. I want them to grow up in a, in a you know, in a, in a pleasant, peaceful and, and, and trustworthy and honest world. And, um, uh, it scares me a little bit, you know, I'm glad they're super young. Um, 
but you know, I mean, you know, we, we know we, there has to be some change going on. You know, it'd be very important to us as a, as a, as a country to see some change. And are they schooling remotely right now? Or are you actually, doing- actually this week, they just went back in small groups. So oh. today is, today is Wednesday. It's their third day of school. Oh. For the last in the last seven eight months or whatever it is, you know, as if you don't have enough going on, you have to you have to not only worry about them, but also school. You know, help school them too. You went to school once, so oh, dude, I gotta tell you, man, me trying to work and get them on <laughs> Zoom calls at the same time, I was about I was about to just throw them the town. Be like, these kids were moving to the country. You're dumb with school. <laughs> right? I've heard that from many people. It's I'm not sure a- you have. It is I don't envy you. What is your, uh, at Ethan Stoll Restaurants, what is your executive process? So when you have to make these big decisions, how many people are, are you relying upon? Because I can't imagine you're just looking in the mirror and trying to figure this out. No, no. I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, on this one, it was, you know, it was getting all the, you know, the, you know, you know, you know, the, you know, the largest stakeholders in a room and saying, hey, what are we going to do? what's the deal here? This is happening. This is happening. And it's, and, and, you know, I mean, you know, I think when we did it, we started realizing that we had to do some layoffs and we, our first initial, uh, 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 decision was to lay off about 25% of the staff and we were going to do it. Um, uh, you know, we were going to do it, you know, I mean, very, 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 um, uh, I wouldn't say selectively. We, you know, we we would let the managers weigh in on on who, who on, on 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 what who is being kept and all that stuff, and base it on seniority and all the things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we started having. The, I wanted to have every single meeting be individual, hear it from me. Um, and we started off, but so we have so many restaurants, so and each meeting is a, you know a two hour meeting, right? Um, explaining what's going on, what's happening, what are, what we're taking our you know our actions on, but twenty locations, you know, it takes to take you know two five days. Mm-hmm. So day one was, day one was the hey this is happening. Day two was like, yeah this is happening. Day three, day four, we were like, ah this has just shifted much bigger. So it went to being it went started off by saying hey you know some of you guys are gonna have to, some of you are gonna have to go on unemployment. Uh, uh, to day three it was like, hey I don't know what's gonna happen but I know all of you should learn how to get on unemployment quickly. Right. Um, um, so it went from being like, Hey, you know, we're going to trim down a little bit to being after a couple of days of just news coming out being like, Hey, everybody needs, needs to be prepared. Um, and you know, it, it was, it was, we were like, we might be shutting this company down for a while. Uh, and then, you know, some guidelines came out and we decided to pivot to, you know, to, to go business. Uh, and we were, we were very quick on that, on that transition. So we were pretty busy for the first month um, and then everybody started doing it. So it kind of tapered off a little bit, but it sustained us that with some PPP money that kept people employed. Um, but you know, we, we don't, we don't know what's going to happen now, you know, yeah. so hence the need for us to kind of have, you know, feel the need to transition to some indoor dining. Yeah. Well, um, have you been in touch with uh, your friend Tom Douglas and some of the other operators up there to, help work some things out is uh, have people collaborated on these things? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, I mean, you know, we haven't, you know, we haven't sat down and said, what are we going to do as an industry? No, I think everybody's, I been kind of, everybody's been kind of handling their own thing. Um, you know, I mean, it, it tends to be, you're either a restaurant or a restaurant group that's in a neighborhood or you're downtown. You know, we're fortunate that we're kind of, you know, half and half. Um, 
so guys like Tom, and I felt really bad for him because all of his restaurants are downtown, and all of a sudden downtown became a ghost town. Uh, there's nobody downtown Seattle, right? Yeah. Um, and, and, and I mean, it's, it's 10% occupancy of what it was. Um, and, um, um, you know, he, he had to make a hard, a hard, fast decision, and, and he did it. You know, which is which is which is I commend him for him doing it so swiftly, uh, but it couldn't have been pleasant to do. It was awful. It also sent shockwaves out too. Like this is really happening, and in a big way. So for sure, he was the first one to do some closing. How has uh, Canlis uh, done? throughout this because I know they were doing some innovative at the time they looked like they were innovative and now everybody else is doing some of the same things but how yeah, they- I, mean, I, I mean I mean you know they've been super creative and, and engaging and uh, uh energetic about what they've done you know I mean you know they they created a drive-through they you know they, they turned their parking lot into an outdoor restaurant uh how they're doing financially I don't know I mean I think they're probably doing okay you mm-hmm. know I mean they're definitely you know <clears throat> they're definitely putting on, you know, putting up a big fight, you know, but that's, you know, that's what everybody has to do right now. You got a big fight in your hands right now and you just got to make smart, fast decisions. So uh, life balance, my friend, that's always a key. And you've done really well in getting healthier over the last few years. I know that. And I commend you for that. Um, But are you able to, you know, I, I would imagine you have, those things in your life that help you chill out and balance your life. Are you able to do those now? Or are those just things that you're looking forward to at some point? No, no, I've been, I've been, I've been staying pretty disciplined about it. Um, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, I mean, I'm not working in the restaurants at night as much because we've been trying to keep it each location kind of secure with its own team. Uh, so my days are much more packed. They start earlier. Uh, but you know, I mean, I, you know, I mean, you know, there's, there's some pluses to, you know, to this thing and, you know, I haven't had to travel for work. Uh, I've been able to spend a lot of time with my kids at night, you know, they've got, they're eating like Kings and they're, you know, you know, you know, during this whole thing, um, you know, I make them dinner and, and make them an involved dinner every day. Cause I've got, you know, I've got some time. So my, all my meetings are at zoom so I can have, you know, oxtails braising in the oven, uh, while I'm at home, you know, you can't do that when you're at work. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so, you know, and, I mean, I've been able to spend a lot of quality time with my kids. And, and I think I, I, if I'm being honest, I think our relationships got, got, you know, gotten much, much tighter and much closer. So that, so, I mean, I can't, I can't say that's a negative, right? No, um, that's, you know, and, that's, I, and the, I can't, that's a huge positive, huge positive. Uh, and it's one of those things where you're like, would you do coronavirus over the same way again? Like, no, but I realized that the importance of what investment on time with my kids and extra investment of time with me being at home is, um, <clears throat> you know, and then, during the summer, I, I, I was, you know, obviously um, my kids are around a lot um, uh, and, and, ha- and you know, having some help with them was, was great and tag teaming it between people is helpful. Um, uh, but, you know, I would go out for a bunch of walks and have my meetings on the phone with walks. So, you know, I was out regularly getting, you know, 18, 20,000 steps a day. Uh, so I was getting my steps in. I'm not a runner. I don't like running. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I mean, after kids went to bed, I'd work out almost every night and you know, so I always, I always made sure I did something, you know, that was one of those things, you know, I know a lot of people sat in front of the, in front of the zoom screen all day and then, you know, then I had dinner, then went to bed. I was like, I gotta, I gotta get out and do something, uh, breathe some air, get out of the house. Uh, I'm a person that needs to move, uh, and I can't stay set for very long. So, uh, getting out and doing stuff, taking meetings on zoom calls on a walk and just getting my body active was, has, has been, has been super, super good. You know, but I'm the same as everybody else. I probably drank too much bourbon in the last six months. You know, I mean, that's, there's that too. 
Yeah, well, um, well, you don't have as many bars to hang out and drink it, but you do have uh, to yeah, don't have any. Yeah. That problem. yeah, so, um, but, you know, here we are on Zoom, and I can see, you know, your face looks a lot thinner. You, what, how much did you lose? It was a few years ago that you really yep. moved in the right direction, and what did you do? I think we talked about that the last time we spoke. But, uh, yeah, but, I, I, was, I, I lost about 65 pounds. Uh, initially, and it was going hardcore keto, tons of cardio. Um, and then after that, you know, I mean, and I'm, I, I hate to say it, I'm not much of a cardio guy. I did it for that, you know, six month window, where I lost all the weight. I mean, I did lose a ton. I mean, you know, I went in hardcore keto, you know, just eating protein. That's it. It's not it's not a diet, I think, is a super healthy one. Um, but I also wasn't planning on ever doing it long term. You know, it's during that the initial time period of, 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 of losing the weight. Uh, and then it was after that, you know, so, you know, I lost 65 pounds and then I started lifting weights and I put on 20 back on of muscle and, you know, mostly in my legs because uh, I wanted my legs to get stronger because I got oh, I got to carry these kids around and then um, uh, just kind of maintain after that. Are you uh, you must be missing baseball. I know you're a Mariners fan. Yeah, baseball has been baseball has been a bummer not to go to. Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, and, and you know, watching some of the games, it's not the same without fans there. Uh, and same with football, you know, you know, you know, you're not seeing, you know, you see the games, the fun, they're exciting, and I'm glad there's keeping super tight zoom lenses on the on the field, but there's not the screaming in the background, there's not the fans going crazy, you're not going to games. Uh, you know, I mean, it's one of those things where. You know, granted, you know, I have a pretty social, uh, active lifestyle and, and calendar and job. Um, so, you know, I mean, you know, it's been it's been good in some regards to kind of just chill out and spend a lot of time with the kids. But it's also like, you know, I'm a social person. I like going out and seeing my friends and hanging out, you know. So I'm looking forward to getting back to some some level of normal. Well, you can slip out a little bit, but yeah, uh, yeah, normal is pretty good. But you know, I'm a I'm a Met fan, and I watch some of the games without the crowd noises. I do happen to like listening to the announcers; they're all about my age, so their banter is enjoyable to me. But I'm trying to watch the playoffs now. I can't get into it. If not my teams, my team. I just can't for whatever reason. I'm just bored. I have ADD, and I'm off really quickly. Yeah, I mean, I found the same thing with like with NBA. Right. Usually I'll tune in, you know, some playoff games in the finals, you know, if I can. <clears throat> um, yeah, I got to say, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't, not, not that I dislike basketball, it's just I haven't cared this year. Well, what it, feels like, it feels like, oh, but, but it was this. So How long has it been since the Sonics left? I mean, you've, are, who are you rooting for now? Me? Oh, man, who am I rooting for? I don't know. That's a good question. I don't really have a team right now. You know, I've been to a couple of Trailblazers games. You know, uh, those are fun to go to. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and – It's different going to the Rose Garden than it is actually following the team and yeah, sure. following them in the standings and caring. Yeah. No, I don't, I don't really have a team right now, I'd say. Yeah, looking forward to having, having, having a Sonics team back at some point. Is it, when is, I haven't been following that. Is that happening? Is that in the works? It's not. It's, 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 they're building the, the new arena for the Seattle Kraken now which will be open, I don't know, in a year and a half or two years, year and a half, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and um, uh, they're a good organization. I mean, we've been talking to them about some food service in the arena. And it's, you know, it's going to be a home to the Kraken, the Seattle Storm. That You know, the, you know obviously that was great that they just won the championship uh, yesterday, which is amazing for them. 
Um, um, and uh, then at some point they're talking about that once you have a, a high quality arena, then we'll talk about a, you know, you know, a basketball team coming back. Mm-hmm. So well, as far as, as far as what I understand, Seattle's at the top of the list of expansion. I'm sure they um, all sports want to see what's going to happen because they just had a crazy year, all of them, trying to figure it out. And they're going into football now. But, um, yeah, I, let's hope they get back to normal. And I, I still remember coming up to see a Mariners game with you, and that was great, and eating some pizza and then going out and doing a little bit of a crawl. That was I, – I hope we can do that again. That will be great. We will, we, will do, we will do it again. I, I just can't tell you when. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And I've always wanted to host you for a uh, crawl down here, but I still, I still must thank you for one of the better events that we had when you came down to Ava Jean's or the place next door. Yeah, and that was fun. Uh, super fun. Yeah, and did that collaboration with Joshua. I'd, I'd love to. I can't wait to do events again. Too. How's 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 Joshua doing these days? Well, I can't tell you specifically, but, uh, you know, the restaurants have been – I've been picking up little this and that, and, you know, everything's a struggle down here. So I, I can't speak for Joshua. I don't know exactly. But, yeah, um, but you know, he's done pretty well. You know, he's I had books and um, lots happened since you were down here. So um, it's, uh, it's a strange world. You know, right now, you know, Mr. Gorham and Renee shut down everything, and they're gone. They've moved out of town, which is crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. But, um, you know, I used to maintain – I hate to say this because anybody could take it personally, but I always said we had too many restaurants in Portland. There were too many decisions – too many – the decisions were really tough. There were so many that we had. So I think – I hate to see anybody go out of business. I really do. But I think we'll be okay in time, and then some, some growth will occur. There's going to be restaurant space available. Do you see yourself hopping in anything down in Portland? I mean, it's, it's, a, it's less to drive than it is to Spokane. Yeah, I know. I get it. You know, I mean, I think this is just that thing that we've – I mean, we've talked about it it's at points, and we've looked at some spaces, and we'd like to do it. Uh, we'd have to be down there very specifically, and we want to make sure that – you know, I mean, it's like, you know, you know, there's that Seattle-Portland rivalry a little bit, right? Um, and, 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 you know, we never want to be the person coming into, you know, trying to come into a new town as, as, as a big deal or anything like that. I mean, you know, if the opportunity presents, it, or, you know, presents itself for us to do it in a way that feels genuine and, and, and as we're like, you know, you know we're a value add, uh, not, somebody, not somebody trying to be a big deal coming into town. We would never want to do that, particularly in Portland, you know. So, I mean, if, if, if it works out after this where, hey, you know, Seattle-Portland restaurant industry, there's not, there's not that competitive nature, uh, yeah, we, you know, we would certainly look at it. You know, you know I, mean, I mean, obviously, you know, you know, my brother lives down there and my nephews and niece are down there and, and I love going down there. Um, and I think it's a great town. So, I mean, maybe one day. I think the best way to ease your way into it would just be to kind of be a, a quieter partner, right? Which I don't know if you'd be able to do, right? You, you I, I, think, I think with us being attached to anything, people associate us being in charge of it, which would be tough. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, I mean, we like, we love partnerships. You know, we've got some great partnerships going on up here uh, with people that are, you know, starting up their, starting up their first business for a little bit and we're helping them out and, and getting involved with them and, you know, kind of, kind of, kind of getting them off on the, on the right step. Um, um, so we'll see, you know, hope, hopefully it'll happen. 
Well, I'd like to see that for, if, for no other reason, just so to see you more often. You know, I see you on Instagram and so forth, and you're, you've got a pretty active, uh, a political bent on your Facebook here and there. I don't see as much lately, though. You've quieted down. Yeah, I, mean, I think we've quieted down a lot since uh, <laughs> yeah. coronavirus. I mean, and, and if you want, if I'm being honest, I haven't loved the direction that politics has taken. I mean, obviously, since Trump has taken office, it's just been so combative. Uh, it's been so uh, um, it's been so uh, negative mudslinging. Uh, I've got my views, uh, but you know, I'm a hard leaning leaning Democrat, but I'm a respectful one, um, and I believe in uh, in something as big as government. Uh, it's like moving a cruise ship, right? It's going right. to take a while. Right, it's but there's. Take a while. But I, I think I'm thinking more of Seattle government. Seattle sure. government. Seattle I don't well. remember you making lots of comments on, on the White House and all that. But, but in Seattle, because you're a business, a business person there and you've got a, a big stake in it, there are issues there that are very important to you beyond politics, but just from a business standpoint. And here's, I'm sure you think this is a better, there's a better way to handle this than we're seeing right now. Yeah, there's a, there's, I mean, you know, I mean, Seattle is, is the same as, Oh, you know, I mean, I mean, it's a, it's frustrating in a lot of regards because there's a lot, there's a lot of just infighting and nobody listening, you know, you're listening to each other, um, uh, and just people digging in, you know, you know, digging in hardcore, and that, and that, that doesn't work in anywhere. <laughs> that doesn't work anywhere. So, I mean, it's kind of one of those things where you're like, hey, can we just see like like-minded values come together and trying to work on solutions, you know, you know, work on solutions. I mean, you know, I mean, I mean, we, we've been we've been kind of digging in more into the philanthropy world. You know, we're definitely we're definitely seeing uh, uh, we're definitely investing a fair amount of time and trying to help out. We think we think coronavirus is going to be a, is going to be uh, a major problem for homelessness, uh, people with you know get, you know people getting evicted, job retraining, uh, people needing food. Uh, there's a lot of things that are happening right now. I mean, you know, not all the jobs are coming back. So, I mean, and you know, granted, it's great that there's an eviction moratorium in the state of Washington, and I think there's one in Portland as well. Um, but the problem with that is that if they're not paying their rent now, they're, they're, they're probably not going to be able, you know, they're not going to be able to pay it in six months when the, when the moratorium lifts. Right. And uh, uh, what do you do then? You know, I mean, you either step in and help out and, and cover up some of those past due rents so people don't get evicted. Um, uh, but, you know, the, I, the, my biggest concern after this thing, my biggest one is not about like my business or my industry. My biggest concern is that the homeless population is going to balloon right now. Uh, that's my biggest concern uh, because that's one thing you don't need. You know, I mean, all the all the all the all the all the data says, you know, pe keep people in their homes. That's the best. That's the best solution. If you need to help pay their rent, uh, do it because it's so much cheaper to write a check for them to, you know, stay in their home than it is to try to get them off the street. Um, but you know, I mean, I mean, it makes me nervous that our local government isn't working towards that. So we're trying to do some work with this year with, with United way. Um, um, and, 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 you know, and try to help out where, where we can, you know, at least, at least try to help raise some money, you know, try to spread the word a little bit like, Hey, we need, we need, it's the time for people to work together and, and we got a big problem coming our way and let's not get our eye off the ball. We need to make sure people are safe and in their homes. Have you given, I know I've seen before when you've made some comments on Facebook, I've seen some of uh, people who follow you chime in and suggest you 
you know, do something in politics. Is that something that would ever interest you? <laughs> uh, I think I, I think I thought I thought I think I thought about it before uh, Seattle local politics went uh, you know went, went went straight up nuts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but don't you think you can make it less nuts? Uh, I'm sure, but man. I don't know if I want to get in that, uh, in, in that, in that, in that, in that, uh, in that, in that wild, uh, wild city hall right now. It just seems like there's a lot of fighting going on. Mm. You know, I mean, uh, you know, I also, I also, I have a full-time job that's very busy. Right. And also, well, you know, my, my number one priority is my kids. Number two priority is my business and my employees. Uh, right. After that, we'll figure it out. Well, there's time. I, I just wanted there's to time. be able to have something to pull to go say, Ethan, this is what you said 10 years ago. So here you go. So anyway, yeah, I'll never say never, you know, I mean, obviously local politics uh, is interesting, interesting to me. And I also think that, you know, that's that, that the people that that are the that are the true residents of Seattle and, and the majority of people that are very kind and very progressive and very left leaning aren't being represented right now in Seattle. Uh, and I think that should change at some point. All right. Uh, we'll mark those words, and uh, we'll, I so appreciate your taking the time. I know you're busy, and it, beyond uh, just being honored that you came on the podcast, I'm um, just thankful to be able to spend some time with you. It, yeah, it man, thanks. Day way better than it has been. <laughs> I'm glad. Well, thanks for having me on. It's always nice to chat with you, and uh, yeah, if you ever want me back or you'll have me back, uh, let me know. I'm always down. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. Right